We live in a society that is fundamentally law-abiding because of expectations and the acceptance of certain social norms. And without the exclusionary rule, the Fourth Amendment would become meaningless and people, police and federal agents will, I believe, no longer respect the Fourth Amendment as part of our nation's protection of civil liberties. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams coming to you from Southern California. I write a legal blog named May It Please the Court and have two books out titled How to Get Sued and The Sled. Well, with the ruling as momentous as we've seen in the recent Dobbs decision, one episode isn't enough to cover the extent of its significance. On our last episode with UCLA constitutional law professor Kerry Franklin, we discussed the ramification of Dobbs in the context of abortion and privacy rights. But today, we're going to look beyond the loss of those rights and explore the possible wider impacts of Dobbs, specifically the civil liberties guaranteed by the Bill of Rights and somewhere around five amendments regarding privacy rights. So to help us better understand this issue, we're joined by attorney John May, author of the recent article entitled Justice Alito's Opinion on Abortion, Not Just the End of Reproductive Rights, but the Downfall of Fundamental Civil Liberties Guaranteed by the Fourth Amendment to All Americans. John's a criminal defense attorney who has handled some of the most important criminal cases of the last three decades, including the defense of General Manuel Antonio Noriega, a trial on appeal at his successful resentencing, and in some habeas proceedings to stop General Noriega's extradition to France, the challenge to Florida's election law during the contested election of George W. Bush in 2000, and his representation of the ACLU in the battle over Rush Limbaugh's medical records. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here. Well, this whole thing started with an email from you after one of our shows where you pointed out something that no one has really discussed so far. And what's that? Well, Dobbs has a broader application, uh, Dobbs being the case by the Supreme Court that essentially upheld the right of the states to regulate abortions. No one has really dealt with how Justice Alito's analysis in Dobbs could be applied to other fundamental rights outside of rights such as same-sex marriage or contraception. It's my view that Dobbs represents a serious challenge to rights such as rights under the First Amendment. What I did address specifically is the application to the Fourth Amendment and the exclusionary rule. In a previous article, I addressed uh, rights under the First Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Sixth Amendment, and even the Eighth Amendment, as well as uh, substantive due process. But for purposes of this article, I wanted to demonstrate just how Dobbs could apply to particular rights under the Fourth Amendment that protect fundamental civil liberties and the right not to have your home invaded without a warrant or your cell phone examined without a warrant or the entry and search of your car and personal possessions without probable cause that otherwise would be subject to exclusion under the Fourth Amendment. 
the fruit of the poisonous tree. Right, exactly. Uh, a violation of the Fourth Amendment leading to the discovery of uh, evidence of criminal conduct, which the application of the exclusionary rule is supposed to deter. But more significantly, all of the uh, searches and seizures by police or federal agents that never even go into court, the vast majority of unlawful government intrusions that the exclusionary rule is intended to deter. So what happens, or what is the hinge that translates from Dobbs that essentially uh, changed the regulation of abortion to criminal side? How do you get, is it the loss of privacy that, that we're talking about? The significance of Dobbs to Fourth Amendment jurisprudence is that Dobbs, Justice Alito's opinion in Dobbs, emphasized the originalist uh, interpretation of the Constitution that says we're only concerned with remedies that were recognized by the founding fathers at the time that the uh, Constitution was drafted, uh, long-held understandings of the law that go back to the uh, Magna Carta, as well as those rights necessary to guarantee ordered liberty in our society. The problem is that when the Constitution was drafted and, and the Bill of Rights was added to the Constitution, there was no police force. So to the extent that judges today on the Supreme Court want us to look back to the remedies that were available to citizens back in the uh, 1780s, that kind of analysis is flawed just because one would not expect the drafters of the Constitution we be, would be concerned about deterring uh, police misconduct or unconstitutional searches and seizures when there was not a police force at that time and there was no concern about what was necessary to maintain ordered liberty in the society when searches and seizures were comparatively rare as uh, as compared to what happens today. So essentially, you're saying that we're going to go back to just about the only protection that existed at the time, which is not to have soldiers quartered in your homes. Well, <laughs> yes. And also, to the extent that the Supreme Court has articulated uh, that people should employ other remedies, such as civil lawsuits, to try to deter misconduct, um, that also is part of a flawed analysis because the Supreme Court has chipped away the rights to um, sue uh, federal and state officers for violation of Fourth Amendments, uh, such that there virtually isn't any civil remedy other than in the most extreme cases where, let's say, the police have gone into the wrong house looking for a uh, fleeing suspect and, uh, you know, innocent people are, are killed uh, in the course of, of defending their homes from, um, from 
people they suspected were um, uh, criminals themselves. Uh, other than in those extreme circumstances, people just have no remedy for um, a violation of their Fourth Amendment rights in the civil arena. And really, is there any remedy left under the Fourth Amendment for as much as that's been chipped away? Well, again, the remedy that currently exists, it's not a remedy. The, the, the deterrence that currently exists for a Fourth Amendment conduct violations, the only thing left is really the exclusionary rule, and that is only a deterrence. There literally is no remedy today for all of the innocent people who um, find themselves victims of misconduct or unlawful uh, searches and seizures by the police. Now, let's talk about the exclusionary rule a little bit. There's even exceptions to it now that pretty much gut it, from, at least from my perspective. You have the good faith exception, the independent source exception, the inevitable discovery exception, and attenuation. In your practice, do you find that it's hard to win a Fourth Amendment motion? Oh, it's very difficult. And it's rare for a court to suppress evidence because of those various exceptions to the exclusionary rule. But the exclusionary rule still functions to deter police officers and federal agents from violating the law because there is a standard, a common understanding of what is expected of the police in our society. And so long as, as we believe that evidence unlawfully obtained by the police is uh, required uh, and flows from the Fourth Amendment, uh, it's a societal norm that is respected. I mean, generally speaking, people don't go out and commit crimes. And that's not because they are deterred by the likelihood of becoming arrested and convicted because, by and large, only a small percentage of criminal activity is ever caught. We live in a society that is fundamentally law-abiding because of expectations and the acceptance of certain social norms. And without the exclusionary rule, the Fourth Amendment would become meaningless and people, police and federal agents, will, I believe, no longer respect the Fourth Amendment as part of our nation's protection of civil liberties. Well, John, at this time, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? 
InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com slash simple. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm joined by criminal defense attorney John May. We've been talking about the exclusionary rule as it, wait, as it relates to the Fourth Amendment and the consequences of the Dobbs decision in uh, changing the law regarding abortion and how it may affect criminal law. John, one of the things that you mentioned early on in our conversation is that it may have an effect on the First Amendment. Some of the uh, the religion aspects, the right of assembly, and the right to free speech. How does the how do Dobbs going to affect the First Amendment? Traditionally, the First Amendment has prohibited the United States and the various states from establishing a national religion. It's also prohibited the support of religious beliefs and activities of citizens. Now, that is a literal interpretation of the First Amendment, but nothing in the terms of the First Amendment, in the language of the First Amendment, prohibits prayer in school, for instance. And to the extent that the Supreme Court has held that children should be protected from having pressure put on them to exercise religious or to be engaged in religious activities in schools, that is not something that has anything to do with ordered liberty, nor is it something that was recognized at the time when the Constitution was enacted. But that is a fundamental principle that has been recognized in the last 70 years. And Justice Alito's analysis threatens that. Forcing a child to say the Pledge of Allegiance, which you can't do under the later interpretations by the Supreme Court, burning a flag, which was only recognized as a First Amendment protection in the last, I don't know, 25. In the 60s, I came, you know, it came about in the 60s as a result of the protests. Exactly. Freedom of association, just consider something that I think is very significant. The Supreme Court has held that you can't force an organization like the NAACP or the Heritage Foundation on on the uh, other side of the spectrum to release a name, the names of its members or its donors under the First Amendment. But there was no such protection when the Founding Fathers drafted the Constitution. Uh, There was no such protection in the first 150 years of our our nation's existence. It has nothing to do with ordered liberty. And yet, under Justice uh, Alito's decision, it could very well be possible for some government entity in the future, state or federal, some administration that does not like 
a uh, organization on the left or an organization on the right uh, activities uh, in the public to force them to identify who their members are or who made donations to the organization. So these are additional rights, civil liberties, that are threatened by Justice Alito's, Justice Alito's analysis. You know, you have rights under, let's say, the Sixth Amendment to effective assistance of counsel. Well, you had no such right to effective assistance of counsel at the time when the Constitution was drafted or, or in the Bill of Rights. It just says you got a right to counsel. You know, at one time, prior to Gideon, you had the right to counsel if you could afford one, but you didn't have the right to have an attorney appointed to represent you. And even when you had a right to uh, appointed counsel after Gideon, you didn't have a right to an effective one. The, the Fifth Amendment doesn't say anything about what evidence can be subpoenaed by a grand jury. It just says you can't be a witness against yourself. Well, there is a, a whole a body of case law having to do with subpoenas to individuals and to um, corporate entities, for instance, that governs uh, those circumstances where evidence or information can be obtained uh, from a person that may incriminate themselves or may, in the sense, in the case of companies or corporations, be so burdensome that they can literally shut down the company. You know, those are, those are Sixth Amendment interests that could uh, very well change radically under Justice Alito's opinion. So there is a lot of constitutional rights, civil liberties that have been recognized over the last 70 years that are now in play as a result of the appointment of justices who were trained essentially by the uh, Federalist Society when they were groomed and uh, educated in law school and who've later become justices of the uh, Supreme Court that very much threaten democratic institutions as a result of how uh, Justice Alito has uh, analyzed Dobbs and his influence on other members of the court. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Gee, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Gee and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm back with well-known criminal attorney John May. We've begun a discussion that is really, an, I think, one of the most interesting discussions as a outflow of Dobbs and, and the federalism versus states' rights. I mean, you have 
under the theories that we've been talking about, and I think everybody recognizes we're going back in time to the 1700s in terms of what the Supreme Court thinks the laws should be. And it, John, it prompts me to ask the question, you know, our Thomas Jefferson and James Madison wrote the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions that provided that classic statement in support of states' rights and said states' legislatures can declare federal laws unconstitutional. Are we going back that far? Well, it's really hard to say how far we are going. Certainly, in Map v. Ohio, the Supreme Court, through the incorporation principle, held that the Fourth Amendment applies to the states. So I don't know if the states can now declare the Fourth Amendment non-applicable to them. I haven't thought that through. But I think what's more likely or more concerned to me is what the Supreme Court itself is going to now say about the Fourth Amendment and the exclusionary rule. Certainly, there is an opportunity for states, and this has happened before, to interpret their own constitutional protections and their own version of the Fourth Amendment to grant greater rights to their own citizens. And it may well be that what's going to happen is that we're going to have a state-by-state war over civil rights and and personal liberties, the same as we're likely to have on the issue of abortion uh, as a result of the uh, Dobbs opinion. Certainly in here for some change. And we've looked at also, uh, or we've talked about Justice Alito's theories, but how about his theory of stare decisis? I mean, we've seen the Supreme Court readily overrule prior decisions, and we've started to see the circuits doing the same thing, disregarding precedent. What what do you see as an outflow from that? Well, it's interesting to compare Justice Alito's analysis of stare decisis to Justice Rehnquist's view of it in the case where the Supreme Court found that a statute, which I can't remember the, the statute, that Congress enacted a few years after Miranda that basically would have overturned Miranda was invalid. Uh, and uh, in part, it was in, in part it was invalid because Justice Rehnquist held that the exclusionary rule in the Fifth Amendment was a constitutional rule, and because uh, as a result of stare decisis, Miranda had become ubiquitous within our society. I mean, you can't you you, you can't have, um, see a, an episode of uh, Law and Order or L.A. Law without uh, hearing Miranda warnings given. But Justice Alito and basically views stare decisis as something that can be that can be ignored any time that the court finds that a case or a principle was wrongly decided. So it makes stare decisis really an illusion because virtually any time the Supreme Court decides something, if if it believes that a rule it's announcing is better than an old rule, then then stare decisis simply uh, gets uh, thrown out the window. This is concerning from the standpoint of that that whole federalism versus states' rights that were fought over in the Constitutional Convention. 
And the Bill of Rights, you know, having been added as a compromise to ensure that states' rights were affected and the people's rights were protected as part of the Constitution, are we looking at watching the Bill of Rights just disappear amendment by amendment? I hope not. I mean, certainly nothing like that has happened yet as to rights such as rights under the First Amendment uh, or the Fifth or Sixth or Eighth Amendments. Certainly the Supreme Court under Roberts has increasingly narrowed the application of the exclusionary rule. I am, I'm sort of on a campaign now to try to alert people to how Justice Alito's decision could threaten other rights. But I'm hoping that the other conservatives on the court will take a more enlightened view. And certainly to the extent that people in the country expect that the conserv- other conservatives will not apply this analysis in, in other circumstances. It won't be. All you have to do is go back to the 1930s after um, Roosevelt's failed attempt to uh, pack the court, and you can see that the Supreme Court can be moved as a result of uh, public opinion. And so I am hoping that I'm hoping that what I'm warning of doesn't come to pass. It seems like, you know, if the slippery slope starts with eliminating the rights of privacy that Clarence Thomas announced in the Dobbs opinion, despite his own marriage, it seems like those rights are under attack as well. Well, John, we've just about reached the end of our program. It's time to wrap up and get your final thoughts as well as your contact information. Uh, Please wrap up. I am concerned about maintaining uh, the kinds of protections that prevent our country from becoming a police state. Last year, it became known that for approximately 10 years, the Federal Bureau of Investigation was conducting uh, illegal uh, surveillance of millions Uh, phone calls having to do with thousands of individuals. This was all done uh, in violation of the Patriot Act, which was supposed to have protections uh, against such conduct. We don't want that kind of activity to become the norm among police officers. And the only way of preventing it is to educate and continue to educate the police about the requirements of the Fourth Amendment and have the public demand uh, and expect that their civil liberties are going to be upheld. Unfortunately, courts um, have not been vigilant in upholding civil rights in the area of the Fourth Amendment. Uh, unfortunately, because they're concerned about letting the constable be punished despite the criminal activity of individuals and the blowback from the public that would result from that. But even maintaining 
the expectation that the police will will act lawfully uh, goes far to uh, prevent individual acts of of misconduct or violation of constitutional rights from becoming universal uh, practices in our country. And so I'm on a campaign to uh, try to educate the public to make sure that uh, people continue to demand that their police act lawfully. And John, if our listeners want to join your campaign, how can they reach out to you? I'm always interested in hearing from people. They can send me an email to uh, John May, that's J-O-N-M-A-Y dot criminal defense at gmail.com. Uh, and I'll do my best to respond to them. The only thing they can do is spread the word, write their congresspersons, and continue to expect that their friends and their neighbors will demand that uh, their elected officials uh, protect their rights. Great. Well, John, thank you very much. And as we wrap up, I'd like to thank our guest, John May. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much. It has been an honor. Well, what John is proposing is a large step from Dobbs and certainly concerning but I'll say this about it. If you didn't ever think that abortion rights would get overturned, think about what John has to say. Well, for our listeners, if you like what you heard today, please rate us on Apple Podcasts, your favorite podcasting app. You can also visit us at thelegaltalknetwork.com where you can sign up for our newsletter. I'm Craig Williams. Thanks for listening. Please join us next time for another great legal topic. Remember, when you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Consult a lawyer.